Today on Abounding Grace, we take a look at the steps to becoming a backslider. Backsliding is a subtle thing that is on the inside of a person. So that on the outside, they can give the appearance that they're worshiping God and making progress. And we see the appearance, but inside, they're very far from God. And it begins little by little by little by little. It's not just open rebellion. It's also failing to move forward. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Backsliding. If you've not experienced it yourself, surely you've seen it in your friends or loved ones. And it doesn't just happen overnight. There are steps that lead up to it, and Pastor Ed Taylor has identified six. He'll point them out to us through a study in Luke 22 today on abounding grace. It's here we find the story of Peter making the decision to deny the Lord Jesus. Would you take your Bibles and open them to two places, Hebrews chapter 2 and Luke chapter 22. Hebrews chapter 2 and Luke chapter 22 in a Bible study that I've entitled Six Steps to Becoming a Backslider. Six Steps to Becoming a Backslider. Because nobody ever really thinks that they're going to backslide. And I haven't met, really, I haven't met one new believer that wants to backslide where they're so excited about the work of God in their life, they're so excited that their sins are forgiven, they're so excited that God, there's now hope for their lives, that God is going to deliver them from the issues of their life, that they have not only strength for today, but hope for tomorrow. I mean, the topic of backsliding never comes up. Because I think that there's that sense in us that we all want to grow, we all want to move forward, we all want to be the men and women that God wants us to be, to live in His sufficient grace, to, to live in such a way where we derive all of our strength and all of our hope from Him. But real life isn't like that. Backsliding occurs because we all have seasons of difficulty, resistance, challenge. And it is possible for a believer, for a Christian, for a follower of Jesus Christ to backslide. Absolutely, 100%. And the reason I say that is because people like to argue about this. They like to make it a big point of arguing. But the Bible actually uses the word backslide many times. And even if the word backslide isn't used, like we see in verse 1 of chapter 2, how can this not be anything but describing going backwards where it says in verse 1, Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest we drift away. There is the possibility of drifting away of no longer making progress and moving forward in the things of God. And just to really emphasize this in our lives, Jesus gave a parable. And he shared a parable about a dad and two sons. We often refer to that as the parable of the prodigal son. We actually should change it. You can change it a, different, a couple of different ways. Really, you could call it the, the parable of the loving father. 
You could call it the parable of the prodigal sons because one ran away in a prodigal, but one stayed pridefully with his dad and, and was really not in relationship with his dad either, even though he was there close. But most of the focus of the story is on the, the younger brother that, or the youngest son that takes off. He says, I want my inheritance right now and I want to launch off into life and live life the way I want to live. And so what does the father do? He gives him, he, he honors that, that freedom, that free will that he has, and he actually gives him an inheritance. And the kid goes off into the city and lives a crazy wild life. And in the beginning, I'm sure he enjoyed it. He was surrounded with friends. He had more friends than he ever had. He had more money than he ever had. And they lived it up. But you know what happens? Over time, the money ran out. And guess what? So did the friends. And something that he couldn't predict. Not only did he lose all his money and lose all his friends, but there was great difficulty in the land that he lived. A famine hit the land. A, a great challenge and trial, a lack of food, so that he had to get a job. And the only job he could hustle up was a job feeding pigs, which was unclean for him as a Jewish kid. And yet that's all he could do. And there he was doing his job. And, and he got so bad, so bad for him, that as he was looking at what he was feeding the pigs, for a moment there, he felt like eating it. That's how hungry and how desperate he was. Which, by the way, leads me to sharing with you a very important truth. You might want to jot it down. You can jot it down right over Hebrews chapter 2 if you'd like. And it's a very simple phrase, but I want you to understand this. I want it to be in our hearts and our minds. And it's simply this. Backsliding equals misery. Backsliding equals misery. Because here he is at the point of having all this fun, which shouldn't surprise us. Because the Bible teaches us that sin can be pleasurable for a short amount of time. I mean, that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, if sin wasn't pleasurable, if things that God forbid wouldn't bring us some kind of pleasure, even though it's self-destructive pleasure, if it didn't have any kind of pull on us, if it wasn't attractive to us, then where would be the temptation? That, that's why when you watch somebody, you know, make a, such a horrible, sinful mistake and ruin their life or ruin the life of someone else, and you, you, you look at them and you go, I can't believe they did that. Why did they do that? Well, one of the reasons is, is that what they were into wasn't a temptation for you, but it was for them. That's one of the reasons why you feel that way. So that wasn't a temptation for you, but believe me, there are temptations for you. And they will tempt you for some kind of joyful, happy season of life only to lead to misery because backsliding always leads to misery. And yet it was in the misery of his series of poor decisions that the Bible says he came to his senses and he went back home. And he went back home because that was the wise thing to do, to come back, to come back to a loving heavenly father. You know why? Because Believers can have a temporary lapse in their Christian faith. But if they're a true believer, they'll always come back. Prodigals will come home. We praise God for that, don't we? Because many of you are praying for prodigals right now. And prodigals do come home. Jesus instructed us and shared with us. And we learned last time that the essence of our relationship with God is two things. How do we not backslide? How do we not drift away? Well, we need to take the more earnest heed 
to what we've heard. And really what he's saying is we need to match what we hear with obedience. We need to do what we hear. And if there was ever a time for us to hear this message, it's in our generation because as believers, as followers of Christ, we hear and we hear and we hear. We hear in church. We hear in podcasts. We hear on the internet. We hear on TV. We hear on radio. We hear on CDs. I mean, we hear and hear and hear the Word of God, which puts us at great danger. Because if you hear and don't do, you're going to drift away. If you keep hearing God's Word and don't match it with obedience, you will, and I will, drift away. James put it this way. Jot it down in James chapter 1, verse 22. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. It's simply self-deception if you think being in church, living a life of disobedience, means that you're making progress for the things of God or you're listening to the radio, or watching some service, or on YouTube, and you're there, and you're not matching with what God is teaching you with the appropriate obedience. Sliding back, drifting away, turning from the Lord, backsliding, doesn't happen overnight. That's why I think Paul here to the Hebrews in chapter 2 uses the word drift, because you drift over time. You, You start out in one place, And then over time, you're drifting into a whole new place. Anyone can fall away. And the moment we begin to doubt that we could fall away is the very moment we start taking a step toward doing it. Any of us can. Backsliding is actually a subtle thing. It happens little by little. I know it's sudden for us. When we, when, when we see someone, it seems like they just woke up one morning and denied God. It didn't happen that way. It was very subtle. And it began a long time ago with a little decision, a little compromise, and then over and over and over and over again till finally they completely turn away from the things of God. It's not, backsliding is not just living in open rebellious sin where it's so obvious Many times, backsliding is a subtle thing that is on the inside of a person. So that on the outside, they can give the appearance that they're worshiping God and making progress. And we see the appearance, but inside, they're very far from God. And it begins little by little by little by little. It's not just open rebellion. It's also failing to move forward failing to make progress. If you're not moving forward spiritually, you're moving backward. There there is no neutrality when it comes to the things of God. You can't say, no, Ed, I'm not moving forward. I'm not moving backward. I'm just standing here. No, standing is not moving forward. It's the beginning of moving backwards. So much, Jesus put it this way. Consider this, what Jesus said. He said, you're either for me or against me. He doesn't give a third option. He doesn't say, you're either for me or or against me or thinking about it. There's not three options. I mean, imagine that. You could be listening to me right now and you have set your life to be against Jesus Christ. That's your life. You go, Ed, how can you say that? How can you say that, pastor? Because Jesus said, if you're not for him, 
living in relationship with him, having repented of your sins and surrendered your life to him, then he says you're against him. You have to be for or against. There's no third option. And so it is with the Christian life. You're either moving forward or backward, but there's no third option. And today I want to show you what one type of backsliding looks like in the life of a very familiar man. Would you turn over to Luke, now chapter 22? As we see a season of hours in the life of a man by the name of Simon Peter. We often refer to him as Peter, but his name is actually Simon Peter. And there are six things, six decisions, six positions of his heart and life that have led him down a very difficult path that ended with him denying his relationship with Jesus Christ. That was the end, denying his relationship with Jesus Christ. Would you pick up with me in verse 31 of Luke 22? And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he might sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail, and when you've returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Strengthen your brethren. Here's number one, if you're taking notes. Number one, Peter was self-confident instead of selfless. Peter was self-confident instead of selfless. In Matthew's gospel, chapter 26, verse 33, it says, Peter answered and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. You see, Peter had, he was a man of passion. He was a man of commitment. He was a man of loyalty. This is a guy you would want on your, on your side. You would want this guy in your corner. I mean, he, when he did something, he did it all. He, he was a man you could rely on. He was a man you could trust. He, he was a man that, that you wanted to serve side by side with, and yet his strengths became his weakness. Because, first of all, he stands with Jesus before this, and he says, hey, everybody, even if everybody around me, he sells out his own guys, his own friends, even if everybody's made to stumble, and not me. And then he says, he says in verse 33, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. He's so confident, so committed, but he's self-confident. This is the first step in backsliding. No longer relying upon the resources of God, the all-sufficient resources of God through his son Jesus Christ. You're relying on yourself. Jesus just revealed that Judas was going to betray him. And Peter responded in this boast of commitment comparing himself to others. Such self-absorption is a sure step away from God. And you know, it always concerns me when I see or hear anyone that make themselves look better at the expense of someone else. You know, they, they're trying to prop up their own ego and their, their own appearance by saying, well, at least I'm not like so-and-so. And did you hear about so and, and And you know, our world's really good at this, and I know you're familiar with this. Our world's very good at this because our world loves to put labels on people. 
They like to associate a label to someone, and if you notice carefully, whenever someone's associating a label to someone, it, only makes the, it always makes themselves look better. It's like, oh, you know, so-and-so is just that. And the implication is, we're not that, so we're better. And it's maybe a down-and-out situation or a difficulty or a struggle. And unfortunately, this stuff creeps into the church. And so there's labels for all kinds of people. And let me just say, Jesus has a label for all of us. You know what it is? Sinners. All of us. We have all, fall, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Oh, of course we've done it differently and in different degrees. But listen, we are all in need of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. There is no other label that's necessary that we become fully dependent upon him and acknowledge then that we've sinned against a holy and righteous God, that we've sinned against people that we love, we've sinned against society, that we have all gone astray, we've all gone our own way. You know, at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ, we're all equal. Forgive us, Lord, for labeling people and, and trying to make ourselves look better at the expense of someone else. It's very concerning. Peter's boasting of his own commitment while downplaying everyone else's commitment. But they were equally dedicated, you know? They might have expressed it differently, but they all left everything and followed Jesus. And this is what it comes down to for us. Sometimes the areas that you fall in are areas where you thought you were the strongest. <laughs> Think about it. You know, when you're weak in a certain place, you'll keep a guard up there. Like, like when you're asking someone to keep you accountable, right? It's like, like, like if you're doing something really well, let's say, you know, that you've got this great habit and you love reading the Bible. And so generally, you just love reading. You do your devotions in the morning five, six times a week, and you, you're just enjoying the Lord. You're not asking people, hey, can you call me this week and just make sure I'm reading the Bible? No, because you're strong in that area. You're not asking, can you keep me accountable? I read the Bible six days a week, but I really want to do this. Can you just call me and make sure I do it? You don't do that. But the areas you struggle, hey, brother, you know what? This is a big area for me. Can you just check in on me from time to time? I just want you to know I'm struggling with this. I'm experiencing victory, and I want to keep experiencing victory, and I just need somebody's help. It's the weak areas of life that we really pay attention to. It's the weak areas of life that we put a guard around. The stronger things in our life tend to be neglected, and when they're neglected, they begin to grow in ways that are not helpful to us, that inflame our pride. And if you think you're strong in a place, you're going to lower your guard. And it's been said, and I believe it to be true, an unguarded strength is a double weakness. An unguarded strength is a double weakness. I might watch out in an area of vulnerability, but lower my guard in the areas where I think I'm strong. And Peter was committed. He was dedicated. He was loyal. And yet he let his guard down and he became self-confident. And he boasts, not in a way that props up the power of God, but in a way that props himself up. Number two, notice with me in Luke chapter 22, would you pick up in verse 39? And coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives, speaking of Jesus, and this is into the Garden of Gethsemane, the olive press. And he was, as he was accustomed, his disciples also followed him, verse 40. 
When he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And another uh, gospel writer tells us that he specifically encouraged Peter, James, and John to pray and not enter into temptation. This is a pretty easy instruction. Wouldn't you agree? Jesus told them to do what? Pray. And the reason why he wanted them to pray was so that they didn't enter into temptation, right? You guys all with me? It's very easy. Hey, what do you want me to do, Jesus? Pray. Well, why? So you don't enter into temptation. That's the focus for him in the moment, for them in the moment. Pray. And he's speaking to Peter as well. Peter, I want you to pray, and I want you to pray so you don't enter into temptation. A very easy instruction. Well, notice, it says in verse 41, he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw away, and he knelt down and he prayed and said, Father, if it's your will, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and their sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer, verse 45, he came to his disciples and he found them what? Sleeping. It doesn't say he found them praying. They're sleeping. Which would lead them into temptation. Puts them more vulnerable. There they are sleeping. And they're sleeping from sorrow. So let's not, let's not get down on them too much. They're, weak, they're in a weakened state. They've just received a lot of difficult information. It's been hard for them. They're just a stone's throw away from Jesus. So they hear him. They know what's going on in terms of his wrestling and his agony. And they fall asleep. And Jesus comes, verse 46. He says to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray so you don't enter into temptation. So number two, Peter was sleeping when he should have been watching. Peter was sleeping when he should have been watching. That's Pastor Ed Taylor, and he's just pointed out two of the six steps to becoming a backslider. The first is relying on self rather than the Lord, and then second is sleeping rather than being watchful. We'll take a look at the other four on Monday here on Abounding Grace. If you'd like to request today's study on CD for $2, please call 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. You can also access the studies online at calvaryaurora.org. Another way to listen to Ed's teachings is through the Calvary Aurora app. Search for Calvary Aurora. And as you do, you might also download the Grace FM Colorado app for more biblical encouragement. Ed, we don't make a big deal about it, but we are listener-supported. Would you take a moment to explain to our listeners how their support really makes it possible to bring them these daily studies? You know, financial support is really key for Abounding Grace Radio. It's an outreach ministry of our church, and I don't know what the last count is, Larry, but we are on radio stations all around the country and getting such wonderful feedback. I mean, I just met some ladies that listen in on in the Bronx and in Brooklyn as uh, our affiliate Bridge FM is broadcasting all throughout Manhattan. I mean, it's glorious and it's wonderful. And it does take resources to put these broadcasts together, to produce them, uh, to make them available to radio stations all around the country and even some outside of the United States. And if the Lord moves you to, to support, if the Lord moves you to give, just know that all those resources go into getting the gospel out 
through these Bible studies, and, uh, and, and it's just such a glorious thing that God would allow us to serve you and to minister to you, and, and you might have resources that someone else doesn't have, and as you give, you're covering for those that don't have, and it's just so good for us to be generous with all that God has entrusted to us. So thanks for your prayers. Thanks for your financial support. Just know for, for the 16-plus years or 17-plus years, Abounding Grace has been on the radio. God has been abundantly faithful to supply, and we're asking you to join us in that abundant supply of the Lord. Call us at 877-30-GRACE or donate online at calvaryaurora.org. And when you support this ministry today with a gift of $25 or more, we'd like to send you The Holy Land Key by Ray Bentley. Pastor Ray has partnered with God's people in Israel and witnessed the fulfillment of prophecy firsthand. And you might say this book highlights the amazing work God is doing even right now to usher in the coming kingdom. Again, call 877-30-GRACE or turn to calvaryaurora.org on the web. Next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor, we'll share more of the steps to becoming a backslider. We'll catch you back here after the weekend. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Chapel Aurora.